seven five one and then Luke four um, page ten thirty five. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. So we're going to flick over to chapter 62 in Isaiah. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness, and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have laboured. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up Build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be thought out a city not forsaken. Who is this 
who comes from Edom, in crimson garments from Bosra, he who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger and made them drunk in my wrath. I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Now flip over to Luke chapter 4, on page 1035. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, good morning and welcome. Good morning. There we are. Do we have to stand up and warm up? We're going to have to do like exercises in here in the morning to stay warm. While it's we, uh, there is um, there is progress actually on the heating. I think we, the air conditioner does do both, and I think there's a guy coming out to regas it. So hopefully soon we will be able to be warm and toasty in here. Anyway, my name's Andy, and uh, and a pastor here at St Matt's, and it's great uh, to be here with you all this morning. How about I pray just as we get into it? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for these ancient words uh, that you speak to us today. And Father, give us eyes to see, hearts to respond in faith, and give us the joy of knowing uh, the Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, your response to Jesus depends on who you think he is, doesn't it? Like depends on what you make of Jesus. There's all kinds of different Jesuses out there. Uh, you know, there's Jesus the prophet. There's, you know, Jesus the good teacher. There's Jesus the revolutionary, the hippie. You know, there's all types of different uh, Jesuses out there. And apparently, I, I, I've heard, I haven't really travelled around the world, but if you go around the world at Christmas and you look in the, you know, the crib uh, at Christmas, and you, you'll see a different Jesus. 
You know, there's the Asian Jesus, the African Jesus, the white Anglo-blue-eyed Jesus. Uh, And I think the question for us today is, which is the real Jesus? Who is Jesus, truly? And because I take it that who he is will mean and change the way we respond to him. And we, we don't just want to respond to someone we might assume or we might make up. We want to respond to Jesus as he truly is. Uh, today, this passage in Isaiah, this ancient prophet, he brings us a fuller perspective of who Jesus is so that we can rightly respond to him. He wants us to see Jesus clearly with more clarity and to lift our eyes to the spiritual realities around us, to the eternal realities of things that matter. And I hope that as we see this Jesus uh, in Isaiah and in Luke, that we will have a, just a sense of renewed appreciation for him, a sense of awe and delight and joy in what he has done for us. That's my hope and plan. Uh, what we normally do here as we've been working through Isaiah, we start in Isaiah, which was written 700 years before Jesus, and then kind of end up in the New Testament. This morning, I want to start in the New Testament and then come back to Isaiah. So come uh, with me to Luke chapter 4. I have two kind of key things I want us to notice this morning, uh, and um, that will be our time together. So Luke chapter 4, the words that we read out, they were actually Jesus' first words he spoke, and well, the first recorded sermon of Jesus. It's his first public words. But the thing is, before uh, he speaks and we have these words, there's a lot of expectation about who Jesus is and what he's going to do. And because the historian, uh, Luke, he wants us to know that this Jesus, who we met, we heard his words in Luke 4, is the one anointed by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit has been at work. So in chapter 1, you get this prophecy from Zechariah about Jesus. Chapter 1, you get Jesus is conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. You get Simeon in chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit reveals to him when he sees Jesus in the temple, he says, my eyes have seen salvation. Chapter 3, at Jesus' baptism, what happens? The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and we get this voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4, you get Jesus, full of the Spirit, gets led into the wilderness to be tested. And then just before our passage, come and have a look at verse 14. After he's been in the wilderness, it says, verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. There's a lot of expectation about the Holy Spirit work in this Jesus' life. When he returns to his hometown in Galilee, he does what he normally does as his custom. He heads to the synagogue. He heads to the church uh, where he grew up. Now, they must have trusted him there because they gave him the mic that Sunday. They gave him the mic and he pulls out the Bible. Uh, Well, not really the Bible we have because we didn't have the printing press. Pulls out a scroll. The the, the, um, prophets were written on scrolls and there's no New Testament. Pulls it out and he opens it up, opens it up to the point in Isaiah 61. And he, re- and, he re- and he says this, have a look in verse 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has set me to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Can you imagine it? All eyes are on Jesus. He rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant and sits down. You know, he's not sitting down back in the congregation. He's sitting down at the front still. That's, you know, the custom was uh, the, 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 um, the preacher would sit while he preached and everyone in the congregation would stand. Are you guys up for that? <laughs> that would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? Maybe we should do a bit of that in, in, the, in winter so we all get to kind of stand up and warm. Not a bad idea. But this, this reading, quite short, not, not, not like the three chapters we just had, and the sermon was even shorter. Have a look at what he says in verse 21. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. You know, the great prophecy of Isaiah fulfilled right there, right then, with him, with Jesus. Jesus says, I am the one you have been waiting for. For centuries, they've been waiting uh, the Christ, the Messiah, the servant in Isaiah 61 turns up and Jesus says, I am he. You wouldn't want to have slept in on that Sunday, would you? <laughs> you know, all the Sundays to sleep in, but I'd missed, you missed it. Uh, they've been waiting 700 years. But notice what he says his purpose is. He said he's been sent by God, anointed by his spirits to proclaim the good news to the poor, liberty to the captives and oppressed, and to give sight to the blind. Three things he says there. How was he going to do it? Well, he does it by talking. He does it by preaching. Because Jesus, as the word of God, in the power of the Spirit, as he proclaims the Lord's favour, people's hearts are captured by this truth and they're transformed. See, Jesus sets the prisoners free by speaking words into their hearts so that the, the poor, the blind, the captive... This is his mission statement. This is what he's on about. Yet what kind of relief is Jesus talking about? You know, is it political, economic? Because we have many kind of visions of relief for our world, don't we? You know, we want poverty done away with, we want cancer cured, the environment healed. But here's the thing about Jesus. He didn't start a political party, right? He didn't start, you know, and lobby for better education or, you know, replacing the bad structures in our society or he wasn't all about silencing, you know, what he thought to be hurtful or harmful words. Now, Jesus didn't even start a soup kitchen. He didn't break into prisons and release prisoners. In fact, his cousin, John the Baptist, was in jail and he sent him and then Jesus sends him a message that keeps him in jail. See, the relief here that Jesus is talking about is a spiritual relief. The heart of this message is an announcement of God's favour. It's the blindness, is spiritual blindness. It's failure to see Jesus for who he is. The captives, they're spiritually captive, enslaved to sin. We all need to be set free from our captive to sin and death and judgment. The poor, they're the poor in spirit, the broken contrite, those who tremble at God. See, the heart of the relief that Jesus is offering is a, re- a freedom of a relationship with God. And Jesus didn't come just to preach it, he came to achieve it. See, love, compassion, tenderness and 
Jesus' passion for justice all take Jesus to the one place. They all take him to the cross outside of Jerusalem. See, we still live in a world where people are hurting desperately, don't we? I mean, it doesn't take long just to think for a moment. And this has led many Christians and churches to offer medical and educational help, social work and advocacy, to campaign for social justice and political liberation. And these are all good things. They all offer us a taste of the new creation. And we'll get more of that next week in Isaiah 66. But they are not ultimately what Jesus came to do. See, the core thing Jesus came to do was restore a relationship with God. And he was hated for it. People would have loved him if he was just on about medical and education. They hated Jesus for being on about restoring relationship with God. He suffered for it. And friends, so will we. See, I think we need to continually remember the difference between treating the symptoms and the cause, between band-aids and the cures, and being people who are committed to the cure. People's hearts can be mended forever. We can experience true relief and freedom from death itself. I think we get that it's talking about a spiritual reality here. You know the, um, the hymn writer Charles Wesley, you know that great song we sing, And Can It Be? Uh, he kind of captures it, doesn't it? You know, the, my chains fell off, uh, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. I can't sing, but there you go. Uh, see, that language is the language that every Christian knows exactly what we're singing about. That's what Jesus has done. He has spiritually set us free when we bell it out. Now, to, to con- kind of continue to get what Jesus is on about here, we actually have to go to another Old Testament passage because that phrase, the year of the Lord's favour, is referring to the year of Jubilee. So, from Leviticus 25, uh, if you're familiar, it's the, you know, the seven, you know, you work six days and the seventh day you have off and then uh, you have seven years, every seventh year the, the land will get a year off. And the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, every single debt, forgiven, wiped out, you know, you're back to square one, so, you know, your home loan totally wiped, all slaves set free, all land returned to its original owners. I don't mind the idea of that instruction, that sounds good. It's like, it's like the zero usually is like hitting reset every 50 years, all cancellation of all debts. Now, there's actually no evidence that Israel actually did this, uh, but this is the kind of the jubilee. This is the year that they'd been waiting for. They wanted the reset button while they, the nation Israel, were in exile. And 700 years later, Jesus came proclaiming the year of jubilee. He says, I bring that reset. And he announces to you and I today, all the debts that you incurred towards God, gone through my death and resurrection. We all have a debt that we can't pay, that we can never pay. And Jesus says, I came to pay the debt that he didn't owe so that the debt that you owe, you can be set free from it so that we can have that reset we all need with God. I see no matter what history you have, no matter what past things you have done or not done, Jesus came to give you a complete forgiveness, complete pardon, a clean slate. This is the year of the Lord's favour. You know that the joy of those words, the year of the Lord's favour, is just nectar for the soul, isn't it, as you reflect on your own life? This is the comfort 
that Isaiah longed for, the comfort that we all need, a comfort knowing a relationship right with God, a comfort knowing that the judgment of God isn't going to be held against us. The problem for many of us is we actually, and many in our world, is we don't recognise that we are spiritually blind, that we're in prison, uh, you know, because we just keep going on choosing to stay in the same state that we are. It's like, you know, you imagine the nation Israel, you're in exile, uh, you're condemned by God under His right judgment, and you're in a captivity in Babylon, and you're just like, oh, this is good, I'm just going to live it up. You know, they're buying houses closer to the water, they're planning for their holidays. Uh, They're not realising or thinking about the coming Messiah. They're not weeping about their situation. They're not longing for the kingdom of God. They're just blind to these eternal realities. But it's those who mourn, isn't it? It's those who have eyes to see. It's those who feel they're in prison, who, who know their own captivity and that they're under judgment. It's those people who long for the freedom that Jesus gives. It's those who recognise their captive hearts and the world around us is captive too. They long for this jubilee. They long for another world and they're the ones that cling to the promise of Jesus. And they're the ones that are going to experience that sweet joy that Jesus offers, that sweet joy of salvation and cling to his words and his promise of God's favour on them and know that reset, relationship with God. Friends, if you're here and you're a Christian and you're not experiencing this joy, just remember you're not home yet. Turn to God, see Him refreshed, be reminded of that great salvation He has won for us in Christ and pray that you might delight and rejoice in Him again. That's the first thing I want us to notice, okay? That Jesus came to offer salvation to the spiritually captive. What's interesting about Jesus' quote in Isaiah 61 is He cuts it short, doesn't He? In in Isaiah 61, verse 2, he says, The Spirit is on me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So it's not that Jesus is just on about positive thinking. No, the reason he stops here is because he's thinking, is, is in his first coming, he's coming to save, not condemn. But in his second coming, he's saying there will be a judgment coming there will be a day of vengeance. And he says, my first coming purpose is to save. But if you don't respond to my offer, in my second coming, when I come back, it will be a day of vengeance to all those who reject the good news that I'm offering. Now, this picture of his second coming is very sobering. And when Jesus, the spirit-anointed prophet and king's return, it's going to be a frightful day. This is the second thing I want us to notice, is that Jesus is the one who brings this final judgment. Isaiah 63 kind of unpacks what this day will look like for us. Turn back there in your Bibles with me. Uh, And this is a picture that we don't really talk about when we talk about Jesus. The picture in Isaiah 63, it has a very simple point. It's that Jesus, the mighty warrior, will come back again and he will oppose all who oppose him. Have a look in your Bible there. Chapter 63, verse 1. It says, Who is this who comes from Edom, in crimson garments from Bosrah, who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength? It is I, speaking in righteousness, 
mighty to save. So you've got this picture of a watchman. He looks out and he sees this person. Now, Bosra uh, is the capital of Edom, and that's the land of God's enemies. And initially, this watchman, he's not sure who it is, and he asks, who is it? The answer he gets is, it is I. Now, that is characteristic of God himself as a speaking God. But notice what he says. He says, it is I speaking in righteousness. Even though we might not like what he has to say, he's saying, I am consistent with my character. His character is right and good. He's the one who knows the future and he tells us what will happen. But then the watchman, as he sees this person, he notices his clothes aren't just red, they're stained in red. And we have the second question, verse 2. It says, why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? The answer, verse 3, I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the people, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and I trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was a poor, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath and I poured out their life blood on the earth. The imagery requires very little explanation, doesn't it? Jesus here is the mighty warrior who crushes the enemies under his foot. If someone asked you this morning, who is Jesus? Would you have said, he's the mighty warrior who's judge who's coming back? No. We need to see Jesus clearly and hold this image of him, don't we? He is the fearful warrior judge who will return and hold everyone accountable. But friends, that is not just the image we have. He's also the anointed Messiah, the one who freely gave his life so that you would not have to face this judgment of God yourselves. These are heavy truths and weighty, but it's the plain and unavoidable teaching of the Bible. And God loves justice too much. He is too good and righteous to let the guilty go unpunished. And he can't just sweep it under the carpet. And friends, can I say, we don't want him to either. We all long for this justice that only God who sees all and knows all can bring. See, Jesus doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Friends, can I say, don't be fooled into believing the lie that there is no judgment, that we just decompose and come to nothing. God has given us ample warning and evidence. He has come in the person of Jesus. He has spoken about it. He has died and he's raised to life. And as surely as he came in his first time, he's coming back again. Words of Isaiah, 700 years fulfilled later. Jesus has told us he's coming back. Now, Isaiah may have thought that the announcement of the favour of the Lord and the day of judgment was happening at the same time. But with the coming of Jesus, they are split, aren't they? See, for us here today, we are living in a window of opportunity. We are living in the year of the Lord's favour. But that day of the Lord's day's vengeance is coming. In, the, in his kindness, he has delayed that day to give us more chance to repent, to come back to him and to receive 
salvation. I have three reflections I want to finish on. Firstly, doesn't this view of Jesus put a sense of urgency to the time we are living in? The reality is there is no peace for those who are outside of Christ. Um, Frank Retief, uh, he's a pastor in South Africa. Has anyone heard of Frank Retief? I don't know, in the 90s, uh, he was in a church when um, some people gunned down a whole bunch of people in his church. And um, anyway, he was a, a pastor in South Africa, had been training ministers for many years, and he would get them to reflect on what is their mission statement. And, and, and he, he had a mission statement that he would get them to write at the top of their planners. So when they were thinking about what to do and what not to do, that they were all to refer back to. It's, uh, it was simple and clear, and it said, people outside of Christ go to hell. So the whole working day, indeed the whole life, was done living in the shadow of eternity, living in the shadow of this reality that Jesus so plainly <coughs> teaches us. And he would call his people and everyone to organise themselves around this statement. It is easy, isn't it, in the busyness of life, the pressures, to lose this sense of urgency. But Isaiah 63, it, it won't let that happen to us. He reminds us Jesus is coming back. That man is destined to die once and after that face judgment. And whoever believes in the Son has life. But whoever rejects the Son, God's wrath remains on him. It's this truth that Jesus in his life actually meant he moved on from healing people to tell them about this. Uh, so that he could continue to tell them about the leads or favour. So he leaves physical needs because he knows that everyone needs to hear and be set free from their captivity to sin and their judgment from that. They're in desperate spiritual need. Friends, this is why here at St. Matt's, we, we just can't be satisfied with not trying to reach our patch with the hope of Jesus, can we? There, there, there are thousands of people whom Jesus came to save. And we all have the message which they desperately need to hear. That's the first thing. It gives us a sense of urgency uh, to the need to share Jesus. Secondly, can I say, it just, for me, it's made me so glad for God's preference for salvation. See, I don't know if you noticed in the Isaiah 63, even in it's a clear judgment passage, there is an inbuilt preference for salvation over judgment. God loves to save. Did you notice that three times he tells us that he's the saviour? Verse 1, it introduces himself, it is I, and he says, mighty to save. Verse 5, he talks about his arm that brought salvation. And verse 4, we get this contrast between this day of judgment and this year of redemption. God's character, is, it's, it's his intention to bless. In Isaiah 28, he talks about this judgment being a strange alien work to him. He takes no pleasure in it, but he graciously gives people time to return from their ways. He is a reluctant judge, but a joyful, willing saviour. Can I say that this just brings a delight and a joy to me as I reflect on his goodness? I don't deserve that. None of us deserve that, but he's been merciful and gracious. And I thank him for that saving heart of his. Lastly, I think what it does for me, it, it causes me to want to pray more. Uh, John Stott, when he was reflecting on these realities, says, we need to weep more, and once we have wept, we need to pray more. This is actually what we're told to do in Isaiah 62. 
said we're, we're told to call on the Lord to do what he has promised, to cry out to him. Friends, Jesus has promised to build his church, to build his people, to bring them salvation. The gates of hell will not stand against it. Even when we're tempted to look around and see setback after setback and tempted to doubt God in his goodness and mercy, we can be confident. We need to come back and look to Jesus afresh to know that he announces a year of favour and that no, he's also, there is that day of vengeance that we might look to his triumph over evil on the cross, that he walked out of the grave and he is going to win himself a people from every corner of the earth. Can I ask you, do you see Jesus clearly? Is this a perspective that you have for your life? And can I say, align yourself with him while you can. Come and enjoy the joy of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, see a wonderful but sobering view of Jesus here. We pray, Father, that by your Spirit you would help us to see him more clearly, that you might help us come to him and know the joy of receiving forgiveness, a new start, a clean slate. May this reality of who Jesus is so shape us in our convictions and our clarity of what, what life is about, that we would be moved to share others uh, about Jesus. Please bring your kingdom here. Please be merciful to more and more people in this space, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. stand we're going to sing together we're going to sing a wonderful hymn and praise God for who he is he's a big God and he desires to save and we want to thank him for saving us through Jesus
Well, um, oh, Peggy. 